morning, church family. While the praise team's making their transition off the stage, let me uh, give you a couple of things I mentioned in the first service, just to kind of start out at a national level or international level, then bring it home a little bit to us here. First of all, I've had some questions about the Russian-Ukraine situation that have come to me this week. I want to give you a couple of things I'll say. Uh, being Having the joy of being on this planet for four decades, I have often heard that this will be the war that ends all wars, and we're on the crux of the end of the world again, right, Zach? Haven't we heard this our whole lives, right? This is the end, right? Because he's running away. I'll just assume he agreed. Anyway, okay. Uh, it may be. I don't know. You know, this could start World War III. But here's what I'll say. Jesus also told us that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, right? Remember when he said that? Uh, so uh, we know that truth is there. This is the beginning. It could be. could not be. In addition to that, I would say this, that if this is the end then God has the ability to aim. We know that in the Old Testament, right? Whenever he's dealing with the Egyptians in the Old Testament, he's able to keep God's people and make a provision for them. So we will trust in God's provision in the middle of all that. Thank you. You're a blessing. I appreciate that. I am on two antihistamines right now. That's, I'm sorry you're going to have to put up with my raspy voice this morning. I went down Thursday, thought I was sick as a dog. It was all allergies is what my doctor said. I've been tested, COVID, flu, everything, because I have to be around all you all, and I don't want to give you all anything. And... Um, Turns out I have allergies and I live in East Tennessee. What a concept, right? I know many of you probably don't have this problem, but I have it, right? Uh, so anyhow, so back to what I was saying. So with Ukraine, we have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ that are now in a wartime situation. Let's be praying for them, praying for all those that need Christ on both sides of this skirmish. Uh, a little closer to home in the community. Uh, today I've been asked to go to Unica High School. A young man took his life. I'm not sure if it was intentional or unintentional. Don't have a clear report yet. On Friday night, he was a freshman at Unica High School, so I'm going up to for grief counseling after this is over today. Uh, so if you'd be praying for them, last name's Taylor, family, the Taylor family, as they uh, deal with the grief that is there. And then finally, a hint of good news. Brother Jack, one of our deacons here who was in the plane crash, if I remember that, that was about 40 days ago, is venturing his way back home today. So he's having to go about two hours and stop every two hours. Uh, we're going to try to gather here in the parking lot. Please uh, check your Facebook page to know when we're going to do that. Kind of welcome home signs. Going to try to cheer him on, uh, you know, as they get closer. If something happens, they have to wait till tomorrow. We'll let you know. But as we find out, we're going to send a phone tree out. If you're not part of that, check on the Facebook page. If you're not part of that and you don't want to do that, feel free to text me or one of the staff members. I'll keep everybody updated so you'll know, so you can work on that. I will tell you that the 9 o'clock service has a leg up on you guys for making posters today if you're going to do that because they've had a whole other hour to work on their posters. But I feel very confident you can get it done. I don't know if Jack will be back any time early afternoon. I would imagine it'll maybe closer to the time of our Bible study at 6 o'clock tonight. And if you're not coming to that, I would encourage you to. Rediscovering Church has been a great study. Okay, with that in mind, I ask that you grab your Bibles now and turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, we are here and we need a little bit of the context so that we best understand this. I will go ahead and warn you, I did not get to the application portion in the first service, so don't think that I'll get to it today. This is going to be a two-part message, all right, because this is just something I don't want to fly through. This is something I want to make sure we understand. This is a very familiar parable, but this is one that will be worth our time to take two Sundays to go through. Don't you think? Isn't that worth our time so that we have a good grasp and understanding of what the Lord is saying here? All right, so Jesus has had this interaction with the Pharisees back and forth. They were murmuring, and it spurred these three, three, three parables back to back, right? The 
prodigal sons, the two prodigal sons, or the prodigal father, depending on how you look at that. Uh, the dishonest steward, we've seen that. Jesus then making the point of how you view the law, how you treat money. It, it all is tied together with how you view marriage, money, and law. Is Do you see it as something to hide behind and all for you, or is it something for the Lord? Uh, so, you know, how you treat money is indicative of how you're going to view the law and how you're going to treat your spouse. Well, here... Jesus is kind of pulling this all together and helping us to see in this parable uh, what he's getting at in the very hearts of the Pharisees. Now, let me say this before I read this, get into this. It's very easy for us to shake our fingers and scour our brows and say, you silly Pharisees, right? It's easy for us to pick on those guys 2,000 years removed, a people group that's no longer around and, and say, this is all for you. But remember, as we read this and go through this passage today, this is not just for Pharisees of the day. This is for us. We need to find where we are in this passage as well. Right? Here, here is the Word of God. Hear it. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish. In this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in a like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm is fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Amen. May God have blessing to the reading of his holy, inerrant, infallible word. And I pray he writes this truth on all of our hearts because the grass withers and the flowers fade. But to say it with me if you know it, the words of our God endure forever. All right. Let's rewind the tape here to verse 19. And let's, I have application points. I have points that I'm going to make, main points I'm going to make. I'm not going to get to any of that today. Like I've already learned that from the first service. But what I want you to do with me this morning is we're going to work through this text. I want you to think through this parable with me. All right? We're going to work, walk through this. I want to make sure you understand this and how these first century hear, hearers are hearing it and you understand what they are hearing. All right? So let's, let's dive into this. First of all, it's almost like there's two scenes here, maybe even three, you kind of see with Abraham and the conversation that is there. You might call that a third scene, but there's at least two. And we're going to spend most of our time in the first one here this morning. So let's dive into this. First person we meet is the rich man. 
He is clothed in purple. Now, for a 21st century American reader, this has no significance, right? Because purple is the same price as red, yellow, black, white, whatever color shirt you want, whatever color pants you want. Although I don't know very many people that wear purple pants. Maybe if you're an LSU fan, I don't know. But not very many people, you know, wear that. Now, I, you know, my aunt was a huge fan of purple like that. But let me, let me say why this is important in Scripture. Purple dye was harvested from a creature out of this sea. It was very costly to get this creature up into the boat. So if you had a lot of garments that were purple, that was the most expensive garment that could be purchased in the ancient world. So what's the modern day equivalent of that? I don't know. I'm not into fashion. Many of you have been around me to know that if I wear anything nice and fancy, it's because Becky laid it out for me. Like I, fashion just doesn't do it for me, right? Like some of you, that's your past, your drive. Praise God for you. You can give me some tips when this is over. But for most of us, uh, you know, we think of what? What's a, top, what's a top designer suit or a top designer brand that's available? Could somebody just name one for me? I don't know. I'm not in that world. What? What'd you say? Zales? Yeah, that's how, that's how I do, all right. Gucci? I don't know. Whatever. I'm just saying words. Whatever it is. All right. You put that in with your mind, right? He's got high dollar suits. Now, it also mentions this, in fine linen. So this is, this is the undergarments that they would have worn, right? And this fine linen would have most likely been cotton, which also would not have been cheap. So the man's got high dollar, you know, $2,000 purple suits he's wearing with 100% cotton, softest, finest material you can have for undergarments here. He spares no pennies at all for his own personal adornment and comfort, right? This is the descriptor of the rich man. So we learn this about him right off the bat. He will spend whatever he needs to spend to make himself look good. In addition to this, we also learn from this first verse, he's not really a Sabbath keeper. You say, Pastor Travis, I didn't say that in the passage. Oh, doesn't it? What does it say here? Who feasted, what's it say? Sumptuously when? Oh, every day. All right, let's talk about this for just a minute here. How many of you have ever had to prepare a meal for your family on a holiday? That's a sumptuous feast, right? Ever put some hours into making ham and turkey and casseroles and things like that? Raise your hand if you have been a, a preparer of a sumptuous. How long does that take, those of you who have prepared? Is that something that, is it a lot, first of all, is it a lot of work, yes or no? And second of all, uh, is it something that you look forward to? I mean, I know you like to see their faces whenever they eat and all that, but man at the dishes afterwards, right? That's the worst part, isn't it? The, the prep, the cleanup, it's hours of work, and it's pretty hard work. I think it's pretty hard work. This man is doing this every day. He is, he is sparing no lap of luxury on his body. He is sparing no lap of luxury at his table. And he is causing people, and obviously from the latter part of this verse where he calls out to Abraham, we'll talk about that in a minute. This is a Jewish man that would have been familiar with the law. He would have known that God wanted there to be a day of rest. And he would have known all his people to have a day of rest, not just those who could afford a day of rest. I don't see this guy doing the work, right? I see him waiting around wanting to be the first one in line once the work is done. But he's somebody who's causing others not to be able to observe the Sabbath as God had outlined it in Leviticus, you know, coming out of the, of the slavery that they had. They, he knew and they would have known God's plan was to take a day of rest. Might I add, this is not necessarily 
about the text today. This is a sub-point here, but I'm going to go ahead and make it, right? The Bible tells us and encourages us that should not forsaking the gathering together of one another. The set-aside time, the body meets together, should be a priority for us as God's people. We should do all that we can to treat Sunday as a little different in that regard. You know, I think there's a provision that if you've got to do something, you've got to work and take care of something on Sunday, Jesus addresses that. You know, your donkey's in a ditch, get him out, right? So there's provision for that, but by and large, priority for God's people and those who count themselves of God's people should be to be with the body, gather together, worshiping and hearing the word preached and receiving it as being read. All right, so that's all there about the rich man. He's rich, he dresses rich, he, he's got rich underwear, you know, he, he, there is no lavishness that he doesn't spare on himself and his body, and he eats lavishly every day, causing others to not even to be able to keep the Sabbath because of how much money he has. We're, we're seeing here openly and knowingly violating sabbatical law, doing it anyway. That's how these hearers would have heard that. Verse 19 to 20, look at 20 here. Enter in character 2 here. Here at the gate laid a poor man named Lazarus. Now that will say, just because you have money in the Bible doesn't make you a villain. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you know that the, in the parable of the dishonest, shrewd uh, steward there, the rich man was, was a good guy. Remember that when we looked at that one? Money is not what makes you a bad person. It's your trust in the money, right? So this parable could have almost as easily have been about an athlete trusting in his ability as an athlete. It could have been about a teacher and their ability to explain and teach. It could have been about a preacher and his dependence on his eloquence in the pulpit, right? The ability to speak eloquently, eloquently right? Which apparently it's not happening today. But other preachers and other people can do that. So it could be whatever it is. There's a dependence that is there uh, instead of on the grace of God. And many, you know, ancient Near Eastern cultures had similar stories like this. There's some in, in ancient Egypt about, you know, a rich man died, a poor man died. And on the other side, their roles are reversed. But it doesn't quite have the twist at the end like this one does. All right, but back to Lazarus here. Lazarus here is at the gate of the poor, of the rich man. He's named Lazarus and he's covered in sores. A couple of things we learn about Lazarus right off the bat. First of all, is he, is he standing or is he laying next to the gate? Laying next to the gate, what can we say? This man is probably broken down. He, he has some disability or inability to work. And he is laying there by the gate of the rich man. What does that mean? He can, <laughs> he can hear what's happening every day as these vast feasts are prepared. He can see people coming and going, bringing in the purple to be sold and bought, bringing in the, the cattle, the fattened calf to be slaughtered every day, uh, bringing in uh, whatever else he needs to adorn himself with. He, seeing the brothers of the, of the man enter and go, he hears the party as it goes. He can smell the food being cooked, and he's right at the gate, but he can't participate in it. How many of you have ever been to Alcatraz in, in uh San Francisco. Anybody ever been to Alcatraz? Raise your hand if you've ever been to Alcatraz. It's a fascinating place. Alcatraz, I think most people know. Who's familiar with Alcatraz, though, other than not being? It used to be a, a, a federal-run prison, like the most expensive type of prison, highest security prison. And Alcatraz sits in the middle of the San Francisco Bay on a rock in the middle of the bay, okay? And it's miles 
from the bay in every direction. And the Pacific Ocean, if you've never been out there, it's a little further than the Atlantic. It's not like the Atlantic, okay? First of all, it's freezing, right? The water is freezing all year round. Like if you don't have a wetsuit, you can't just jump in the water in the bay without hypothermia setting in. So the water will kill you by itself. But not only is the water freezing in the bay area, they say there is no sharks in the bay. Now, I personally think that's a bunch of bull. <laughs> like, how can there not be sharks? Uh, in every beach that I went to in California, in the, in the, around the Bay Area, there was huge posters, large posters that said, beware, swim at your own risk, great white shark water, right? Because there's all kinds of seals and large animals that are there that the great whites come and feast off of. So if you jump in the Bay Area, if the water don't kill you, I personally think the local marine life might polish off what's left, right? So it's a, it's a hard place to get out of. That's why I was where Al Capone was sent, some of these great criminals of yesterday. Well, as we were doing this tour in San Francisco 15, 16 years ago, one of the things that was fascinating to me was they said, when you sat right there on this island, that if the wind was blowing just right from the Bay Area, you could see the lights of San Francisco the prisoners could smell the food cooking, which I'm sure was much better than whatever they were being served. And they could hear the women laughing from San Francisco. And they could see it happening, they could smell it, and they could hear it, but they couldn't partake of it. And this is Lazarus's lot, right? He has to watch all this decadence and all this lavishness enter in the gate of the rich man. And all he can do is lay on his side and watch. And it would be one thing if you could lay in comfort, but what does it tell us about him? He's covered in what? He's covered in sores. Now, if any of you have been a caregiver for any amount of time, you know as well as I do, the human body is not designed to just lay all day, is it? When the human body lays all day, what happens after day, after day, after day, after day? You get sores, don't you? You get bed sores. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had any because you've had some kind of an extended illness you're recovering from, but they're very painful. Uh, that we can say at a minimum it's that. I think it's probably more likely he had other diseases there. This is guy laying on the side of the, of the, of the gate, side of the street, in begging, pretty much begging here, and he, he is here, has nothing to speak of that is earthly. Verse 21, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Now, just to be clear, culturally speaking, at a very lavish dinner banquet, what would generally happen is you set people in a triclinium, you got done, and they didn't really use as many napkins. They used kind of leftover bread, unleavened bread as a napkin. Wipe your fingers. You use these as your forks and your knives. Grab the food. Eat with your hands. Get the bread. Wipe your hands with the leftover bread. Throw it on the ground for the dogs to come in and to eat. Okay? So that's the, that's the table scraps that it's talking about because they're, they're literally thrown on the ground to be eaten, right? So that, that's what it's talking about. Moreover here, uh, the rich man, that's what he longs for. He just basically wants the equivalent of a wadded up napkin, bread napkin, just to eat. And that's why he's, he's positioned himself in here. Uh, moreover, even the dogs. Now, how many of you in here are dog lovers? Are you a dog lover? Raise your hand if you love dogs. These are not the dogs that you love, okay? <laughs> uh, these are not, you know, a Jewish, Jewish mind, dogs were viewed as almost an unclean animal. Most people didn't keep dogs like we do. They didn't have Labradoodles and didn't have whatever other kind of, you know, Cocker Spaniel, I don't know, whatever you like, Yorkies, I don't know, whatever you're into. They didn't have all those things. They kind of just viewed dogs as an unclean animal. The only time that 
Jews would kind of keep them around would usually be to guard a property. And in that kind of function and case, think more like a junkyard dog who performs more of a function than is a pet, right? You feed that thing because of what the protection it gives for the property. So that could have been this kind of dog. The other alternative to that is wild dogs would oftentimes run in packs uh, around this particular area were viewed as a nuisance by most Jews. They were almost equivalent to large rats. But either way, whether these were guard dogs or whether these were uh, dogs that would have traveled in the area and, and been viewed more like large rats, uh, they have come to see Lazarus not as a threat, right? It says here, the only ones that would actually come and provide him with any kind of attention are these dogs, mangy dogs from the community or these guard dogs. And it says here, they licked his sores. So what a contrast, right? We see here this rich man who is dressed in decadence, who spares no expense for his body externally or internally. And we see people in the community paid to wait on him hand and foot. Contrasted to a man who begs on the street, who has nothing, not even his own physical health. From what we can tell, you're probably not even able to stand on his own two feet. And he begs for just wadded up scraps off of this man's table. And I'm not even sure he gets that on a regular basis. Right? Verse 22. The poor man died. Here it is. The great equalizer comes in. The poor man died. In our first service, one of our oldest members of the church is Don Ross. He's 93 years old. 93. I don't even know if I want to live to be 93. Don's 93 years old. If you're not friends with Don, make an effort to go to the first service one Sunday and meet Don Ross. You won't be disappointed. Great guy. Um, One of the things that you'll notice when I talk to my mentoring pastor, he's 91, Pastor Vic, he'll tell me oftentimes this. He'll say, yes, I remember the great pastor so-and-so. He was a wonderful man of God, preached the word, and he died. And he'll go through and list. And this woman, I pastored her. She was a lovely woman. And she died. And on and on his list goes. And you get to the point where you realize Vic knows more people in heaven than he does on earth. Because death came for them all. The righteous and the unrighteous. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Here Abraham is a stand-in for Jesus Christ. Abraham is the one who represents all those who have come to know God's grace by faith, uh, looking forward to the coming Messiah here. Uh, The rich man also what? Died and was buried. Notice in verse 22, does it say they buried the poor man? Does it say Lazarus was buried? No, we don't know. We don't even know if they buried him. It would have been a great dishonor in the ancient world to just leave a body in the streets for animals to ravage. Uh, For all intents and purposes, he may have been left, but the rich man was buried. Uh, Another thing we see here, I've often wondered in this parable, whenever people came to bury him and mourn his death, were they there because they really loved him or were they there to get their slice of inheritance? Nothing tears up families more quickly than when there's a little money when somebody dies sometimes. Verse 23. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. My, 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 how the tables have now turned. Remember where we were in scene one. We're entering into the beginning of scene two now. And what has happened? Their roles are absolutely reversed. In Hades, in hell, this man is in torment now. 
I have sometimes been accused of being a fire and brimstone preacher. As I look around this room, some of you have been with me for near a decade. I don't know if you would classify me that way or not. I don't try to be a fire and brimstone preacher for the sake of being a fire and brimstone preacher. I try to just preach to you what the Word says. And if it talks about hell, it talks about hell. And guess what? Today, it talks about hell. Now, let me give you a few observations from from this passage about hell. Uh, First of all, it is a place of torment. This, remember this rich man, what I said about him earlier? He spared no dollar bills, no pennies at all to make himself comfortable. He viewed his wealth as a means for self. And he viewed every relationship in his life the same way. He made the mistake. He is the opposite of the shrewd man. Right? Remember what the shrewd steward did? He used that money. He shortened the accounts so that he would have a place to go after his job and employment ceased. Right? What you do with your money indicates how you view eternity or if you view eternity at all. And in this particular case and scenario, the rich man did not view eternity on a daily basis. He didn't think about it. You know, one of the questions I would ask you is, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life right now? How's that working out for you? And what's next? Because there's going to be a next even after you die. I can guarantee you today you're going to die. What's next? Right? The rich man here gave no thought, didn't care. He, he is in a place of eternal t- torment. Now, why is it eternal? It's eternal because when you sit against the holy God, your debt becomes eternal. <laughs> There's only one payment that's acceptable, really, and that is you being punished for eternity. So this is a place of anguish. This is a place the Bible says the worm never dies. By the way, there's a lot of people today, they're trying to make Jesus into a form that is more palatable. Did you know that of all the prophets in the Bible, and Jesus was a prophet, he was the greatest of all the prophets, right? Do you know who talks about hell the most of all the prophets in the Bible? Do you know? It's Jesus. Jesus talks about hell more than any of them. Isn't that interesting to you? It fascinates me. Now, it says here, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So who's on the other side of the gate now? Right? The rich man stands just like in Alcatraz. He can see the triclinium. He can hear And Jesus told us there'll be a great festival and celebration when the bride comes and there's a celebration whenever the wedding feast takes place and he sees sees Lazarus standing next to Abraham and and he's, he's inclined to do something here. Look at verse 24. Now, when I'm preparing a sermon, one of the things that I do when I read a text is I ask myself, what in this text is unbelievable to me? And when I look at this text this morning, verse 24 is unbelievable to me, okay? Do you ever think about people in hell? I don't know if you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's just something preachers do. That's fine if it is. But I want you to think about people in hell with me for just a minute. What are they like? Are people in hell realizing the wrongness of their ways and longing for God's mercy and grace, but it's past them now and they can't have it? Verse 24 says, not so much. I want you to think about this for just a minute here. One thing we see here, how he calls out, Father Abraham, this signifies a relationship. 
This word here that's being used, right? He's, he's trying to say, look, I'm born a Jew just like you. I'm one of the people of the covenant of the promise just like you, Abraham. I, I was given things. Uh, I was given the covenant promise at my birth just like you. Proximity should get me something, right? I was close. My, my grandparents were, were believers and faithful and devout. That should get me something. I'm related to you. He says, have mercy on me. Now notice here. Can we say this is really repentance on his part? Or is this just more, he didn't like the fact that he's having to suffer like this because he's never had to suffer in his whole life. <laughs> he's, he's trying to get out of the suffering is what he's trying to do. There's not really repentance that is here. He just wants relief from the situation. And he says here, and send Lazarus. Oh, you know what? This is another thing that bothers me about this reply. Lazarus has laid at this man's gate for who knows how long. The rich man knew Lazarus' name. He knew his name. He saw him there and called him by name. And he continually overlooked his need every day and had plenty to help him with. Send Lazarus. And his mentality is still one of a rich man where he can order people around because he has the money to do so. He's still trying to depend on the money that he has and his position that he has. You ever met people, they like to drop names. Well, you know, I, I know so-and-so. And they think it's going to land them some kind of a position in life, some kind of an authority in life. I'm glad to report to you today, of all my accomplishments, did you all know that I was once the vice president of the Key Club at Daniel Boone High School. Is that not impressive? Are you not impressed? Listen, while I was in high school, there was a concert at the University of Tennessee. My uncle worked there as a University of Tennessee Police Department. He worked out a deal with me, and he said, listen, I'm going to get you real good parking for this concert. When you get there, tell the officer, my name is Travis Tyler. We're going to let you right in. Okay, you're going to be right next to the stadium there. It's going to be, I was like, man, it's going to be awesome. I didn't tell my three friends when we bought the tickets. I just said, I'm going to take care of the parking, but I didn't tell them the details. That's all I said. I'm just, I got the parking covered. I'll drive. I said, okay. Well, can you imagine if I'd have rolled in heavy traffic for this concert, trying to get into that parking lot where you had to pay a certain amount to get into that parking lot or know somebody? And I rolled down my window, and I said, hey, listen, I just want to let you know I'm the vice president of the Key Club at Daniel Boone High School in Washington County. What's that, what's that guard going to say? So? And? Why, why is that relevant, right? And that's what this rich man is doing, right? You, you see, in order for me to get in that parking garage, I need to have somebody on the inside, somebody who had the authority to put me in there, and some kind of a relationship with that person to get me in there. I had to have an advocate at that realm of authority, I had to have an advocate in that place. This rich man doesn't have that, but he's still trying to, trying to run this thing as if being key club uh, vice president gets you somewhere, right? As if having that money at the level he used to have means anything now. It doesn't. It means nothing, right? And he tells him here, dip the end of his finger in water, cool my tongue. There's... This anguish is, must be undescribable from the way he talks here. Uh, he, <laughs> he just wants a drip. Some commentators have said this means that he, um, if he would have just got that, he would have been able to cross over and be saved. I don't know about all that. Uh, I think some of that's pressing the parable a bit more than we're able to get out of it. 
But one last observation, and I'm probably going to land the plane here for today because this is about as far as I'm going to get. What is the poor man's name in this parable? What's his name? Tell me. Lazarus. What's the rich man's name? He doesn't have one. We're not told. You know why? Because when you're in hell, you don't have a name. It doesn't matter. Everybody's in the same boat of eternal darkness, punishment, where the worm never dies. Whatever you had before, whatever you had in your name, doesn't matter there. It doesn't matter. You are nameless and nobody cares. Just under the wrath of God forever. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Does that sound like a place you want to be? (laughs) So here's the reality of this passage. You will either receive and be under the mercy of God and the grace of God, His unmerited favor for eternity, or you will sit under the wrath of God for eternity. But you will sit under one of the two. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we land this here today, as we think about this passage here, and our hearts are gripped with the reality of heaven and the reality of hell, Lord, we, we know that it is not your will that any should perish, that, that all would come to know you. And this morning, Lord, as we have heard your word preached, and we know that in your economy, what we have to offer, our money, our best of whatever, our best of abilities, we have relied too much on that. Instead today, God, let our hearts be turned to your mercy and your grace. Let us be people who are not just trying to dodge hell, but people who have truly become men and women and boys and girls of faith, repenting of our sins and turning our heart to you. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're here this morning. You're realizing... Pastor T, I have relied too much on my ability, I've relied too much on my name, I've relied too much on me. And I'm using my stuff that God's gave me, all these investments for me. I'm just like the rich man. I'm just like him. I don't want to be like that no more. Won't you come and respond today? Won't you let Christ come in? Won't you start investing for the kingdom? Maybe you're here today and you're like the poor man you're like Lazarus and you have you are a person of faith you have trusted him you have been faithful to the faith of Abraham in Christ you just want to thank him you can do that or you want to be part of this church body through baptism or membership we start that process as we sing the song response please stand I'll be in the back